0: Coast, 9 a.m. on the East Coast of America, where you have set your clocks back. So our times are all screwed up. Thanks for messing me up, folks. 2 p.m. in London, 7.30 in Mumbai, India, and Kyoto, Japan. It is 11 o'clock at night. Here in Malaysia, it's 1982. I'm Jay Sheldon. I'm not wearing pants. (laughs) Hey, Hardy hi-ho, Mondays suck. I'm sorry, there's just no polite way to say it. <clears throat> Mondays simply suck, so get over it. Actually, here in Malaysia, there's only two hours to go, and then we're done with Monday. And thank goodness for that. We're very happy. Oh, what a mess. <laughs> uh, yeah, we had all kinds of stuff going on today. Nothing good. Well, some good, some bad, but uh just kind of a mess. And tonight's show is kind of a mess too, which is great because those shows always are the most interesting. Whenever we have a mess and we have a complete mess, nothing really controversial tonight. Some weird stuff, some very weird stuff, and some what the... Weird stuff. So um, (laughs) we'll get to that. Also, we will get to our final part. I want to say chapter because it's not a chapter. We finished the last chapter in our last stream Saturday night of our classic book, H.G. Wells' The War of the Worlds. We, tonight, will read you the epilogue. And that's it. We're done with The War of the Worlds. It has been a long process this book took forever to get through but um we'll tell you more about that coming up welcome in to all of our uh, live viewers across facebook live youtube twitch.tv and the great folks at rumble.com we are live again tonight finally thank goodness had a bit of a technical glitch on our last stream we got it fixed the show is up there So you can always watch. And of course, our podcast listeners all across the podverse. Is that even a word? I might have just made that up. On uh, Spotify, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, wherever you listen to your podcasts, we're there. So just look up Jay Sheldon or I'm Not Wearing Pants. Look for that logo right there. And that's us. Hit the subscribe button, and thank you to those of you who do. We get hundreds of downloads, and uh, we really appreciate it. Thank you a lot. By the way, we've got a new cross-promotion coming up on our podcast from a great poet who is from India. He has a brilliant podcast, and we will be hopefully putting that connection together soon, do a little little cross-promotion between our podcasts here, so we'll look forward to that. Very cool. We have a big audience in India, by the way. I think the third most listened to uh, and downloads on our podcast come from India, the U.S., Malaysia, and India, in that order, so it's great. Welcome to all of our Indian listeners. We We truly appreciate your subscriptions and your downloads. We are on, uh, is it Jeevan uh, in India? It's a podcast, it's like a Spotify, but it's specifically for India. It's not all in uh, Hindi or Tamil. There are also plenty of English programs, lots of great music there. I believe it's J-E-E-V-A-N, Jeevan, something like that. And you can check us out there too, as a lot of you do. Thank you. If you want to see the visual part of our show, because we are a video stream live three nights a week, and you're listening on the podcast, we can recommend that you go to rumble.com, sign up for a free account. Everything's free. Subscribe to the Jay Sheldon channel, and uh, that way you'll get notified. Whenever we go live, you'll, uh, you'll know about it, and you'll know when we have a new podcast up. Okay. Let's, uh, let's get right to it. Um, what were we going to... Oh, yeah, Andy Warhol. <laughs> I actually had a chance once to see an original Andy Warhol. And um, it was amazing. Um, when you actually are looking live at a painting or a piece of art or a sculpture done by the hand of the original artist, there's just something different about it. It takes on a certain, I don't want to get too weird, but you know, it it, it has a vibe to it, an aura that like, this artist stood in front of this canvas or palette or hunk of marble and created this with their hand, his or her. It's just just something about it. Anyway, I saw this story. It's from designboom.com. Links in the show notes. As always, you can read the whole article. But, um, oh, before we get to that article, how could I possibly have forgot? Miko Update. (laughs) I cannot believe I did that. I forgot Miko Update because she's been so quiet today um she one quick story for miko she's doing fine great healthy everything's cool she almost caught a scrat today we have these shrews here that look like a they look exactly like a cross between a rat and a squirrel so i call them scrats because they look a lot like Scrat from ice age you know with the nut that one um she oh she came that close she was stalking it at the end of my car And it didn't know that Miko was sitting here. And it walked along the driveway. And just as it broke, Miko was stalking and waiting. You could see her tail going and the fur going up on her back. And she lunged and she came that close to getting this thing. Shiba Inus, by the way, were bred for hunting small game. So the scrats here are exactly what's in her DNA. And she goes crazy trying to catch these things. She hasn't yet caught one, but she's getting close. Anyway, she's doing great. All right, so let's get on with it here. We talked about Andy Warhol. This is from, uh, as I said, designboom.com. You can check out the link in the show notes. But these guys, (laughs) its latest drop, the Brooklyn-based art collective MSCHF, Bought an original Andy Warhol for 20,000 USD. They paid 20,000 bucks. Then get this they made 999 exact copies, forgeries, and mixed them in with the original. Losing the original one among these now 1,000. Andy Warhol drawings. The collective sold these individual drawings for 250 bucks a piece. They are all definitely by MC, MSCHF and also all possibly the original Andy Warhol drawing. Any record of which piece of the set is actually the original, they destroyed. So there is no way of knowing. The original Andy Warhol sold for 250 bucks together with all 999 impeccable copies and not even MSCHF can tell them apart. There is the original Andy Warhol. I think this is, this uh, piece of art is called Fairies. And the exact copy was created using a robot. Let me just get rid of this ad here. Um, they chose the perfect artist for this drop, his infamous studio, The Factory. Andy Warhol worked towards the mass production of art. Uh, their process was quite intricate. The collective first bought Fairies, 1954, the original uh, for 20,000, an exact copy of the pen drawing created using a robot, and the collective designed and built themselves this robot. A uh, paper that was then artificially aged and stained to minute, minuscule detail, and the result was 1,000 works titled Possibly Real Copy of Fairies by Andy Warhol. Now, if they sell, All 1,000 works, they will wind up making more than 10 times the amount they bought the original Warhol for. Actually, a thousand bucks, 250 bucks a piece, that's $250,000. And they paid $20,000 for this. There's the robot recreating the drawing. Check that out. How cool is that? Now, some people have said, that some art people have said that because they have recreated this art so perfectly and aged the paper so well that you cannot tell the original from the 999 copies, they say then the actual, there you go, this is a little video of putting all the pieces together, they say then the original now is not worth the $20,000 that they paid for it because there are so many exact copies and the arbitrary values found in the art world and uh, high society the buyers will never know if they got the original or not but they have a 0.1 percent chance of getting an original one for this very reduced price brilliant look at that how cool I don't know. It's just one of those things, you know, one of those weird things that people do and it caught my eye. I thought I would share that with you again. If you want to read the whole article, check it out. The links are in the show notes. So, all right, time for a little, a little Miko mug. You want some merchandise, by the way, that's available at twitch.tv. Check out the Miko merch. This is our mug. Mm. Which holds my coffee, not my, uh, not my alkaline water with a spritz of lemon. Do you, do you do that? Do you drink alkaline water and put a spritz of lemon in there just to freshen it up a little bit? Glenneth Paltrow has publicized her morning clean beauty regime. Yes, this is it. Glenneth Paltrow's clean beauty regime regime means she starts every day with a refreshing glass of Alkaline water and a spritz of lemon. Which, if you think about it, makes the alkaline water no longer alkaline. It also highlights the magnificent level of BS that people will follow and swallow from celebrities. Seriously. If you take alkaline water and you spritz a lemon in it. It ain't alkaline anymore, you moron. (laughs) Oh, yeah, but Glenneth Paltrow does it, so, hmm, gotta follow that. Stop listening to celebrities, especially the ones who say, F your freedom, right, Arnold? You moron. All right. Ah, Look at this. Where is this? I don't know where this thing is from. Meet the worm with a jaw of metal. Seriously. Metal-like materials have been discovered in a very strange place. Look at this thing. I mean, on one hand, it's kind of iridescently beautiful. On the other hand, it's freaky. This is a worm, and it actually has... In inverted quotations, inverted commas, metal in its mouth. Bristle worms, odd-looking, spiky, segmented worms with super strong jaws. And researchers have discovered that those jaws actually contain a form of metal. It appears the biological process could one day be used to actually manufacture metals. This is so weird. It's known as a Polychaetes. I'm sure I said that wrong. It's been around for about uh, 500 million years. And this super resilient species has survived five mass extinctions. And there are some 10,000 different species of them. Now, look, this sounds weird, but hang with me, because the technology behind what this worm does is freaky. Uh, be glad you haven't encountered a bristle worm, by the way, because getting stung by one is a very itchy affair. Uh, people who own saltwater aquariums can tell you after they've accidentally touched a bristle worm that hitchhiked into a tank on a live rock. Um, they grow anywhere from one to six inches long. That's pretty big. Found in a tank, but they can grow in the wild up to 24 inches long. Weird. Anyway, the jaw of this bristle worm is virtually unbreakable. It turns out that its strength is because of metal atoms, metals, not minerals, which is rather weird. Um, The material the vertebrates are made of, uh, well-researched, bones, for example, are very (laughs) hierarchically structured. They're organic, mineral parts, tiny structures combined to form larger structures and in turn form even larger. These are bones we're talking about. But the bristle worm replaces the minerals from which creatures, yours and and their bones are built. They replace that with atoms of magnesium and zinc arranged in a super strong structure molecularly. This structure is what the key is. On its own, the fact that there are metal atoms in the bristle worm's jaw does not explain its excellent material properties. But it's just deformable enough, this metal, which makes it so strong. Imagine what they could do if they can figure out how to chemically create the same bond with these flexible, bendable metals that are so strong. What you could, I mean, just thinking outside the box, some sort of replacement for Kevlar that would probably be lighter than a a bulletproof vest, than Kevlar. This is amazing. This bristle worm. Look at this thing. Absolutely incredible. Wow. Links in the show notes if you want to read the whole article. I encourage you to go do that because it is fascinating. All right. Speaking of bristles, you like how I tied that together? You ever wonder why escalators have those bristles on the sides? Have you seen those? And no, by the way, it's not for cleaning your shoes. (laughs) In fact, keep your damn feet away from the bristles. That's not why they're there. Uh, this is from uh, good friends over at worldofbuzz.com. Links in the show notes. You want to read the whole thing. Here's why escalators have brushes on their sides. And no, it is not to choo your casoot, which is clean your shoes. Uh, you'll see here there's a picture and some idiot. I hope this escalator was stopped. But there's the bristles and there's some fool putting his foot in there. Um, seriously you can't imagine a world without escalators having to walk stairs god forbid they're convenient but they make some uh uh to make something so as stairs super fun there are even uh, brushes on the side to clean your shoes or is it uh if you've been thinking those brushes are for cleaning your shoes or they serve no function think again they indeed do um, they actually play an important safety role that most people don't know about. Common escalator-related injuries. Look at this hor- horrific picture. We've all seen this. In fact, there was a time when we had several of these escalator accidents, people getting their foot stuck or ripped off in escalators. Remember that? A year or two, actually two or three now ago, before the lockdowns and all that crap. Um, According to Reed and Mansfield, a prominent law firm in California, escalator injuries are usually caused by a foot getting dragged between two escalator steps or a foot getting caught between the side of an escalator and a moving step. And it goes on to describe the kind of injuries that you can get. And I don't want to talk about it because it's really gross. Anyway, one of the most important things those brushes do is to keep dust, hair, other gross stuff, from falling and getting trapped and entering the gears under the escalator, which can make them explode. This is a safety thing. Uh, Escalators were first created in 1892, way over 100 years ago, 120, 30 years ago. Since then, the design really hasn't changed much. And a catastrophe happened in 1987. You may remember this if you're old enough. A London Underground Station escalator exploded and killed 31 people. And they found the cause of that being a huge amount of fluff, the bits of paper and lint, even grease, that had collected in the undercarriage of the escalator's machinery, the friction uh, between the debris and the gears caused a fire, and that caused that escalator to actually explode. There's a picture from back in what was what did I say 97? It was a horrible, horrible accident. And since then, they have uh, they've done everything they can to try and prevent that. Read the rest of that article if you if you want. It's on World of Buzz, and it's in our show notes tonight. It's fascinating. Um, all right. So as I said in the beginning of the show, Mondays suck. And if you think you had a bad day, I'm about to make your day feel absolutely perfect. No matter how horrible or bad your day may have been, it cannot be as bad as this guy's day. (laughs) I I couldn't even believe this. Again, thank you, World of Buzz. The link's in the show notes. a Brazilian man jumps into a lake because he was being chased by bees. So to save himself from the bees, he jumps into a lake and gets eaten by piranhas. And you thought you had a bad day. A man in Brazil suffered the worst of luck in an attempt to run away from a swarm of bees that was attacking him as he jumped into a lake, tragically drowned, and was eaten by the piranhas inhabiting the lake. The local authorities, I'm sorry to mean to laugh, but man, you talk about bad luck. The local authorities are still investigating whether he died from the drowning or from the piranhas first. Either way, he's dead. Reported by Nine News, the local fire department confirmed the 30-year-old man was fishing with friends when they were suddenly attacked by a swarm of bees, and it was further revealed the man drowned while the other two uh, were able to swim to shore safely. One of the man's two friends is the owner of the land where the tragedy occurred. Specialist divers found the man's body four meters from shore the next day and found that the carnivorous fish the piranha had disfigured the man's face and many other parts of his body the family of the deceased have since given permission to bury the body after investigators ruled a tragic accident had occurred and there was no sign of any crime man like i said if you think you had a bad day Ain't nothing compared to that guy. Man. <clears throat> All right. I got just a couple more things, and then we're going to get on to uh, the epilogue of the War of the Worlds, which is a great way to close out H.G. Uh, Wells' War of the Worlds. We'll be doing that for you coming up in just a bit. But I-, I saw this. It's a TikTok video. Maybe you saw it already. But if you haven't, you have to see it. You absolutely have to see this. It is one of the funniest things I think I have ever seen. Um, this, again, the articles from World of Buzz, they did a story about this TikTok video. And uh, it is absolutely the cutest thing ever. Please, if you're listening to the podcast, you'll be able to hear the video. But you really have to see the video. Hey, go to my Rumble account, rumble.com slash Sheldon. Check out the show. You can even skip ahead if you want to like 25, 26 minutes in and, uh, and check it out. The, the headline from World of Buzz says, Cute Malaysian grandma goes viral on TikTok for arguing with a toy cactus that imitates her speech. This is the cactus. This is this adorable macik. And uh, this grandma is playing with this cactus listens for what you say. And then in a funny character voice, mumble repeats back sort of most of what you'll you'll see in a minute. It's funny as hell. But this grandma is so into it. um, Despite their aging, most of them never fail to make our day and and not to forget fulfilling our tummies uh, too. They would do anything to make us happy, our grandmas. And this uh, cute Malaysian grandma went viral on TikTok for arguing with an inanimate object. Um, the caption for the TikTok, which was posted by Miss Nurul Fatiha, reads, uh, it's in Malay, uh, she insulted the cactus toy for being stupid. Uh, the toy is famous for its wiggly dance and its ability to imitate a person's speech when they talk to it. This thing, does it say here how many? I don't know if it says. Uh, yeah, 1.1 million views and 161,000 likes. You're going to see why in just a second here. Hang on. I'm going to undo my audio. So now I have this weird double speak. But check this out. It's too cute. It really is. Uh, where are we? Nope, not that one. Here we go.
1: I'm addicted to it neng nah ah kon <tuk> kon eh ya teke mm sab main jangan sama ni ha teko mm kono di ni eh kata ha ha ko Kau cakap botol-botol, siapa mengajar kau cakap ni? Kau bapa bapa, apa aku Ada tulis ke? Tulis ke? apa? ada apa? Hehehe bingung orang yang kau ni Tak jadi bingung orang yang kau ni Kau nak tak pergi ke balai polis? Jadi polis kan ditanya-nya di kau semua berjawab. Haa, rasau kali Masuk lokap lokap lokap, Cakap kau ni ni apa nama bunga ni bunga, bunga ketek kan?
0: I told you. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> you can uh, you can find the uh, you can find the uh, link <laughs> in our show notes. <laughs> that was too funny not to share. Oh man, yeah. Here's another one for you, boy. This will wake you up. Are you ready for this? There's actually a, a thing called the Christmas clock. How many I, I just before I sat down tonight to go live, I thought to myself, how many weeks until Christmas? Look at this. Six weeks and five days until Christmas. Yeah. Unbelievable. Which is why, by the way, I'll tell you about our next book coming up. Because it's the holiday season. It's the holiday season. Really? It's six weeks until Christmas. Unbelievable. I could not believe that when I saw that today. Check out the Christmas clock, by the way. I don't know if the link to that's in our show notes or not, because I just searched for that, and I don't think I had time to put it in the show notes. So anyway, it's, it's the, Christmas, the Christmas clock, thexmasclock.com if you want to look. But now you already know. You don't have to go there. I told you. Six weeks, five days until Christmas. All right. Got one more thing to share with you before we get to our book. And uh it's cool. It's really cool. It is <clears throat> a post from a Facebook site called Return to Now. And a re- pretty cool site. They've got lots of great stuff there. And <clears throat> It's accompanied by this amazing piece of art. I don't just take some time to take a look at this art because it is truly truly incredible. while I read you the words posted on the sign and listen close. I hope this might um, inspire you, I guess is the word. An old world is crumbling. Let it. The agenda is becoming painfully obvious. Let it. People are questioning fabricated lies, they've been told. Let them. Others are achingly intertwined in a dark domain of inverted reality. Let them be. Even as the matrix slowly collapses, it still uses mind games and manipulation to distort the truth. Let it. Allow the old reality to crumble, the disproportionate ideologies of Rome to fall. Let an inorganic reality built on global pessimism and materialistic addiction collapse. There's an organic process trying to emerge. Let it. Those who have been awakened from the matrix will not find salvation in desperately attempting to prove the matrix to itself. Let the matrix reap its own karma. Its life cycle unwind as it has no choice but to reveal itself through clumsy missteps of parabolic paranoia and pathological persuasion. Allow those who have a trauma bond with the matrix to fall in love with systemic deceit. Humans have to make themselves make mistakes to learn. Let them. The time and focus spent detailing the corruption and mechanistic means of a dying society can be spent building and creating anew. Let the old world meet its fate. No amount of psychoanalysis will cure or stop a broken system from dying. Be the doula for the new earth. Your infinite potential woven into the tapestry of a new timeline. You're free now, if you'd like to be. A new earth emerges. Let it, by Mary Allison. That's powerful, very powerful. Nice stuff. All right. It is time, it's time, for our book. So let us switch cameras over there. Let us turn on our slideshow for one final time. Because tonight we are doing the epilogue. Originally published in 1897 as a magazine serial. And then it came out in full book form a year later in 1898. Written by H.G. Wells, it is The War of the Worlds. We finished the last chapter, and now tonight we finish the entire book with number 10 of book two, The Epilogue. I cannot but regret now that I'm concluding my story How little I'm able to contribute to the discussion of the many debatable questions, which are still unsettled. In one respect, I shall certainly provoke criticism. My particular province is speculative philosophy. My knowledge of comparative physiology is confined to a book or two. But it seems to me that Carver's suggestion as to the reason of the rapid death of the Martians is so probable as to be regarded almost as a proven conclusion. I have assumed that in the body of my narrative. At any rate, in all the bodies of the Martians that were examined after the war, no bacteria except those already known as terrestrial species were found. They did not bury any of their dead, and the reckless slaughter they perpetrated pointed also to an entire ignorance of the putrefactive process. But probable as this seems, it is by no means a proven conclusion. Neither is the composition of the black smoke, known which the Martians used with such deadly effect, and the generator of the heat rays remains a puzzle. The terrible disasters at the Ealing and South Kensington laboratories have disinclined analysis for further investigations upon the latter. Spectrum analysis of the black powder points unmistakably to the presence of an unknown element with a brilliant group of three lines in the green. It is possible that it combines with argon to form a compound which acts at once with deadly effect upon some constituent in the blood but such unproven speculations will scarcely be of interest to the general reader to whom this story is addressed none of the brown scum that sorry hang on here none of the brown scum that drifted down the thames after the destruction of the shepperton was examined at the time and now None is forthcoming. The results of an anatomical examination of the Martians, so far as the prowling dogs had left such an examination possible, I've already given. But everyone is familiar with the magnificent and almost complete specimen in spirits at the Natural History Museum, and the countless drawings that have been made from it, and beyond that the interest of the physiology and structure is purely scientific. A question of graver and universal interest is the possibility of another attack from the Martians. I do not think that nearly enough attention is being given to this aspect of the matter. At present, the planet Mars is in conjunction, but with every return to opposition, I, for one, anticipate a renewal of their adventure In any case, we should be prepared. It seems to me that it should be possible to define the position of the gun from which the shots are discharged, to keep a sustained watch upon this part of the planet, and to anticipate the arrival of the next attack. In that case, the cylinder might be destroyed with dynamite or artillery before it was sufficiently cool for the Martians to emerge, or... They might be butchered by means of guns so soon as the screw opened. It seems to me they've lost a vast advantage in the failure of their first surprise. Possibly they see it in the same light. Lessing has advanced excellent reasons for supposing that the Martians have actually succeeded in effecting a landing on the planet Venus. Seven months ago now, Venus and Mars were in alignment with the Sun, That is to say, Mars was in opposition from the point of view of an observer on Venus. Subsequently, a particular luminous and sinuous marking appeared on the unilluminated half of the inner planet, and almost simultaneously, with a faint dark mark of a similar sinuous character, was detected upon a photograph of the Martian disk. One needs to see the drawings of these appearances in order to fully appreciate their remarkable resemblance and character. At any rate, whether we expect another invasion or not, our views of the human future must be greatly modified by these events. We've learned now that we cannot regard this planet as being fenced in and a secure abiding place for man. He can never anticipate the unseen good or evil that may come upon us suddenly out of space. It may be that in the larger design of the universe, this invasion from Mars is not without its ultimate benefit for men. It's robbed us of the serene confidence in the future, which is the most fruitful source of decadence. And it has done much to promote the conception of the commonweal of mankind. It may be that across the immensity of space, the Martians have watched the fate of these pioneers of theirs and learned their lesson, and that on the planet Venus they found a secure settlement. Be that as it may, for many years yet there will be certainly no relaxation of the eager scrutiny of the Martian disk. And those fiery darts of the sky, shooting stars, will bring with them as they fall an unavoidable apprehension to all the sons of men. The broadening of men's views that has resulted can scarcely be exaggerated before the cylinder fell. There was a general persuasion that throughout all the deep of space, no life existed beyond the petty surface of our minute sphere. Now we see further. If the Martians can reach Venus, there is no reason to suppose that the thing is impossible for men. And when the slow cooling of the sun makes this earth uninhabitable, as it at last must do, it may be that the thread of life that has begun here would have streamed out and caught our sister planets within its tolls. Dim and wonderful is the vision I have conjured up in my mind of life spreading slowly from this little seed bed of the solar system throughout the inanimate vastness of sidereal space. But that is a remote dream. It may be, on the other hand, that the destruction of the Martians is only a reprieve, To them, not to us, perhaps, is the future ordained. I must confess, the stress and danger of the time have left an abiding sense of doubt and insecurity in my mind. I sit in my study writing by lamplight, and suddenly I see again the healing valley below set with writhing flames and feel the house behind and about me empty and desolate, I go out into the Byfleet road, and vehicles pass me, a butcher boy in a cart, a cab full of visitors, a workman on a bicycle, children going to school, and suddenly they become vague and unreal. And I hurry again with the artilleryman through the hot, brooding silence of a night I see the black powder darkening the silent streets and the contorted bodies shrouded in that lair. They rise upon me, tattered and dog-bitten. They gibber and grow fiercer, paler, uglier, mad distortions of humanity at last, and I awake, cold and wretched, in the darkness of the night. I go to London and see the busy multitudes in Fleet Street and the Strand. It comes across my mind they are but the ghosts of the past, haunting the streets that I've seen silent and wretched, going to and fro, Phantasms in a dead city, a a mockery of life in a galvanized body. And strange, too, it is to stand on Primrose Hill, as I did but a day before writing this last chapter, to see the great province of houses dim and blue through the haze of the smoke and mist, vanishing at last into the vague lower sky, to see the people walking to and fro among the flower beds on the hill to see the sightseers about the Martian machine that stands there still, to hear the tumult of playing children, and to recall the time when I saw it all bright and clear-cut, hard and silent under the dawn of that great last day. And strangest of all is to hold my wife's hand again, and to think that I have counted her and that she has counted me among the dead. And that is H.G. Wells' The War of the Worlds. Wow. What an interesting beginning when he's talking about leaving this planet to populate perhaps nearby planets this was in 1897 this was written and here we are 130 over years later possibly doing exactly that wow it's amazing absolutely amazing All right, my friends, Um, we have decided, because it's six weeks to Christmas, that we will do Dickens' Christmas Carol coming up next. We'll begin that on our next stream, which is Wednesday night at 10 p.m. Malaysian time. And there's very few chapters in the Christmas Carol. It's only about four or five chapters, but they are long chapters. So we'll be cutting them up into half chapters and things, and we'll try and arrange it so it ends sometime just before Christmas, which should be which should be appropriate. So we'll be having that for you coming up next time. We'll begin Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. We're working on a couple of other special treats for you too. We'll have those. All right, my friends. Thank you so much for stopping by. If you want to help out the stream and help to support what we do here, you can go to Patreon.com/slash/JSheldon and uh, make a very small donation over there. But it it counts and it adds up, and we appreciate those of you who do. Patreon.com/slash/JSheldon. I will uh, see you again Wednesday. Until then, I'm J. Sheldon, and I'm not wearing pants. Good night.